Ah, it's good and weird being back in things. It's a lot different. I mean, it was like all, it's funny, like all the behind-the-scenes stuff that we were we were doing, which we're still doing, but it takes on like different roles, like even just like coming up, like not sneaking behind and, and all that kind of funny stuff. But um, yeah, it's great to be back in the house of the Lord. Amen. You know, obviously our, our homes are houses of the Lord, of course, but it, there's something very special I think we could all attest and understand when we come together as a corporate body. Um, hence, right, do not uh, forsake the gathering of the brethren. There's something very powerful and powerful in that. And I think anyone who ever gives you that right act like, well, I don't have to go to church because I love the Lord and the Lord loves me and I just have some time with him. I don't know if anyone else has a relative like that. There's always... Someone, right? <laughs> Your family. You'd be like, well, I'm telling you, I went 10 weeks without, without the, the greater body and then uh, coming back together. You just feel the, the beauty of coming together and the power that it releases. Amen? So now uh, we thank you. I mean, there's, there's uh, a couple guests out there. Thank you for, uh, for fellowshipping with us uh, and supporting us as we, uh, we open up. I mean, there's, there's, I think we're one of the few churches that are opened up right now. Um, and, you know, every church and every leadership team has to take things into consideration, right? I mean, to be quite honest, um, if this was a church of a thousand people, uh, we, I, I don't know if we would be opening up today. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I believe the Spirit of the Lord would, would lead us, but maybe we would. But um, it's different when you have a smaller church body, and we, um, it's one of the benefits, I, I guess you should say. But uh, today, let's open up to uh, Acts chapter 2. And, um, you know, for those of us um, here that ha- have not been uh, watching online uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been engaging in a new sermon series uh, called uh, Rediscovering Jesus. Um, and what we mean by that is not that you have to actually discover Jesus again because you are saved, I'm, I'm believing, right? But rediscovering him, meaning, is understanding some more of his depths of who he is, Okay. And uh, what we mean by that is this, you know, a lot of people come to faith and they really only understand Jesus as Messiah, as Christ, as the Savior, which that's an awesome thing to know. I mean, it is life-giving and it's eternal life, but there are other positions or additional positions of authority of Jesus that are articulated in the scriptures, okay? And so, okay, well, what does it mean? when it actually says that he is the son of David, right? What does it mean when he says, before Abraham was, I am, right? What does it mean when he says, I am the good shepherd, I am the gate, I am the door, right? What do these things mean, right? And so there's a difference we were trying to articulate. There's a difference between a title, which you give someone, and a position that someone holds. Now, Titles usually convey a level of position, but we can only know the Lord by a name and yet not understand his position of authority that he has, right? So most people who are born again understand his position as the Savior, but there are other positions or additional positions that he has that we have access to that we may be missing out on if we do not dig in a little deeper into an understanding of who he is. Amen? And so that's the purpose of the sermon series. And so this week um, is, a, is not really a title he was given in the scriptures, uh, but I, I figured, can we bring 
the Rediscovering Jesus uh, uh, series and Pentecost together, I think you absolutely can. Because uh, there is a position of authority that Jesus has. And that is when he declares it is finished and the blood is spilled, he is the agent, he is the being, he is what tears the veil in the temple, which allows the Spirit of God to now leave the Holy of Holies and come into us. Amen? Like that is an amazing revelation if one has grown up in church and has not understood that concept. The Spirit of God now gets to live in, and reside inside of you because of Jesus' blood. Because he is the one who tore the veil, in a sense, right? His actions. And so that's where we're at. And so let's take a look at Acts 2. And I'm sure you've read this before. Because this is articulating what's happening and what we're celebrating today. In many regards. Because there's always more. All right, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to jump around a little bit. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them, or then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We jump to 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the people that were there, right, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk men, as you suppose it is only the third hour of the day. And then he quotes from the scroll of Joel, which talks about the outpouring of the presence of God in the latter days. And pick up now, jumping ahead, to verse 38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So what we have here is amazing stuff, right? I mean, you have the coming of the Holy Spirit in a very physical, visceral form. Peter is so uh, enraptured by that he stands up and he preaches the gospel. Like, quite a few verses of the power of the gospel, right? And then he gives a declaration of repentance, and many, many, many came to the Lord that day. Amen? It's awesome. It's, 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 it's a beautiful thing to celebrate. And so, you know, I was uh, reflecting on all this and, and thinking about things. And, um, you know, obviously today, all across the world, there are going to be churches that are teaching about Pentecost. They're going to be teaching about the fire of God. And they're probably going to take very different angles, Right? I mean, if, if you heard a message about Pentecost uh, in a uh, Pentecostal church versus the Catholic church, it's going to be like, really different. Yeah, I just, just seem in a non-denominational church uh, and like a Lutheran church. And what I mean by Lutheran, like a mainline, you know, high order Lutheran church, um, you're going to probably hear very different messages, right? Uh, and so, but 
whatever the message may be, you know, I was reflecting like, but will people really dig a little deeper to really understand uh, the Spirit of God and to understand and to essentially rediscover the depths of Jesus and what he was able to perform and what we're celebrating today? So I was thinking about that. The other thing that I was thinking about is that this is a very, very unique Pentecost. In fact, in my 39 and a half years of life, this is the most unique Pentecost I've ever experienced. Anyone else? I mean, I don't know. Did anyone beat me out on that? Have you ever had a stranger Pentecost? I don't know if anyone was around like for World War II and remembers Pentecost during World War II. I mean, you know. This is, this is bizarro, bizarro times. What are bizarro times? I mean, obviously, uh, COVID-19 has been transpiring. This is our first day back publicly as a church. Um, there are uh, riots that have been breaking out the last couple of days throughout the nation. Uh, there has been a tension that has uh, happened or has increased, has resurfaced in the nation. Um, wounds that have uh, broken open again, which tend to happen every, every about a decade, historically speaking. And whoop, right in the middle of it is Pentecost. It's like, okay. Uh, but in addition to that, what's interesting here is if you hear, there's a, you hear people, there's a buzz, right? There's a buzz on the street of uh, an expectation. What will the summer bring? What will the fall bring? I mean, those that are going off to college, what is college going to look like in, in the fall? I, as a high school teacher, wow, what the heck is school going to look like? What do your vacation plans look like this summer? I mean, everything is like, what is going on underneath? Probably a phrase after today I never want to hear again. The new normal. Right? It's like, the new normal. Right? I mean, there's, there are these expectations. And there's also an expectation of excitement when people start to move and, and uh, leave the quarantine period. Right? Oh my goodness, I can go to the beach again. Or I can see another human being outside of my family or those that are sitting in Walmart. Right? There, there's these positive expectations as well. All right? So those are the two things that I've been thinking about. Do we have an appropriate understanding of the depth of rediscovering, yes, Jesus, and rediscovering and understanding the Holy Spirit? And then also, there is a very unique Pentecost season that has happened on planet Earth. And what is the deal? Those are essentially the two themes of today. Thanks, man. So here we go. Let's, uh, let's just get a little, let me, let me learn you good, okay? So actually, uh, uh, I believe it was uh, Wednesday night, I believe, um, if that's correct. I forget already. Thursday, at sundown, I believe, uh, was the biblical feast uh, Shavuot. Now, Shavuot is Pentecost, and Pentecost is Shavuot, okay? Here we go. So, what do we have here? The Greek word, Pentecost, Anyone uh, know what that means? 50 or 50 days. That's what it means. And Shavuot in Hebrew means weeks, or technically seven weeks, which is 49 days or really 50 days, right? So what we have here is the same holiday. Now, obviously in the New Testament, written in Greek, they're using the terminology Pentecost, signifying an understanding of what was outlined in the Older Testament as a holiday known as Shavuot. Okay? And so let's just, let's just lay a foundation so we can understand the depths of Shavuot, Pentecost, and the power of He 
who tore the veil. So what we have here is this, right? We have actually in the beginning of the spring, there's a holiday that is outlined uh, in Exodus, outlined in Leviticus, Numbers, and also I believe Deuteronomy as well. Uh, specifically, that is talking about the holiday of Passover, right? And many of us who've been around, you know the background of Passover. You know that that is, in fact, when Jesus uh, was crucified and was resurrected. The Passover Lamb of God. And we were teaching on that not too long ago. Actually, we can tell you exactly when we were talking about it. We were talking about it how many days ago? 50, exactly. So, 50 days from the holiday of Passover is the holiday of Pentecost, or Shavuot, okay? So in the Bible, there's an outline, right? You have uh, uh, Passover, and then there is the holiday of Shavuot that's happening. In between is a time period of 50 days, uh, which is known as uh, Birkat HaOmer, or the counting of the Omer, which is another interesting holiday, which I've taught on before, but not this season. And right off the bat, we have some very deep understandings of things. All right? So this whole season, and it really is the season of, to be honest, to be honest this is a, I mean, spiritually, this is really the season of quarantine. Like, think about this. Quarantine essentially was released around the time of Passover, right? Some of were like, when, when there were rumors of things like, are we going to have our Passover Seder? Are we not going to have a Passover Seder? It's like first week of quarantine, people are like, oh, should we do a Seder online with Zoom? And people are like, well, what's Zoom? And everyone's like, enough of Zoom, right? <laughs> but guys, this COVID experience, this quarantine experience has happened right during the time of a biblical calendar of three feasts. Wow. I don't know. I'm like, like is, is someone trying to get our attention? Passover is the story of deliverance, the story of essentially the birth or the rebirth of a people, and it's the story of a covenant, and a covenant promise that God has kept with his firstborn chosen people. But what's interesting here is when we do reflect upon the story of Passover, sometimes we actually miss one of the primary, if not actually, the primary goal of the story of Passover. And just to save some time, I'm just going to paraphrase. Um, when God speaks to Moses and tells Moses to go to Pharaoh, what is Moses to say? By the voice of the Lord, let my people go. And people are like, yeah, let my people go. Let my people go so that we can be free from bondage in a spiritual sense and free from bondage in a physical sense in the text. But what was the goal? The, ah, some of you guys know what's going on. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go so they shall go into the wilderness to worship me. That was and is the primary goal. Let the people go so that they can worship me. Hmm. Can you imagine the new normal? Can you imagine the expectation for 400 years you can't show up to temple? You spend 10 weeks not being able to show up to church. 400 years of, obviously, the mandate for a temple was not built. It was not declared yet. Yes, the tabernacle of Moses was not declared yet. But there were altars. 
There were definitely altars during the time of Egypt. And I wonder, if you're a slave in Egypt, are you able to build an altar to worship the one true God? I think not. I don't think Pharaoh would be, like, too into that. Now, maybe there are... I don't think... Maybe you guys... The Jamies and the Jose's, maybe you guys can build... I don't think, like, for 400 years they're building altars. I don't know, but they're building different altars. They're building pyramids. Altars to different gods. Right? Now, it's not because they want to. It's because they have to. But can you imagine... A, 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 an expectation of 400 years not being able to worship your God. Not being able to congregate together for 400 years while you're in slavery. And essentially the Passover experience is this interesting kind of quarantine in Egypt. But now at the story of Passover, there is a freedom from bondage. Amen. But there is a release for a people to go into the wilderness and worship the Lord. Hmm. Now, what's very powerful here is that there's this 50-day period, and then finally, it takes 50 days to get to the right spot in the wilderness. It takes 50 days to leave Egypt and to get to the absolute, pristine, perfect spot that God now wants you to really, really worship Him. Now, there's, there's worshiping when they're leaving Egypt. I mean, there's the song of Moses that is happening, but we're talking about like true, real worship that the Lord has articulated is really going to come 50 days later, and that is the celebration of Shavuot. The Older Testament understanding of Shavuot is it took us 50 days to leave bondage, to now go into the wilderness, to worship God finally. But there is also another secondary understanding of it, and it's this. On the festival of the original Pentecost, Moses comes down from the mountain with the tablets of stone. And now the people worship. Now, what is the power behind this? This is, this is so powerful. This is the original Pentecost is a celebration of God giving his law, or rather his word, to the people. I mean, a celebration that God has given us his holy word. Now, what is the word and what is the law? I mean, we know the word, you know, the word was made flesh, the divine reason, all that logo stuff we were talking about a couple weeks ago. Let's just even, excuse me, even like uh, kind of related to today. What is law? What is the law? What is the word for the Jewish people? It's, it's, it's the word of God, which is amazing, but it's, there's more to it than that. It's a covenant. It's a legal promise. Like, it's not just a word. It's a legal promise that God shall fulfill. There's a rejoicing today. God has given us a legal promise. What else did the law do? The law defined a people. Defined a nation. Defined a promise. Right? I mean, it's not just a spiritual law code. If you read it, it's actually like a... a, 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 It's really an Israel constitution. Like, people are always like, how come there's so many laws in the Old Testament? I'm like... Have you looked at the like internal revenue code? 
It's over 2,000 pages, I believe. Like, the Older Testament is not just a social, spiritual law code. It's a law code that is to govern the entire nation. Like, so we have, like, law codes about, like, you can go 55 miles per hour on certain roads and then 75 on, on other roads, you know? And you have all these crazy laws, right? That's essentially what it is. It's, it's multiple things. It's defining a people. It's defining a society. It's defining a nation underneath a contract. I mean, that's, that's, that's something that Jewish people are celebrating all around. And it's the context of the first century Pentecost. So let's, uh, let's try to bring it into other spheres here. That was just, that was just the gravy to, or the oil to get things going so you have an understanding. And thank you, Jamie. Your, your email the other night got, got me really thinking about these concepts. So I appreciate that. God... Um, Gives the law, and we, we know there's like the worshiping of golden, uh, golden calf and all that kind of stuff. We, we, we understand that, and the worshiping of Baal. But what also comes through this is a more positive response by the nation of Israel. On this day, in Exodus chapter 24, verse 7, open up if you have this, because this is like, we're going to get like a little linguistic here. This is very, very powerful. Exodus chapter 24, 7. This is, this is Israel's ultimate response uh, to Shavuot, to the giving of the law. Okay, Exodus 24-7. I'm going to read it first in Hebrew. I want you to read it along in the English. Uh, and uh, there's a reason for that because guess what? There's a kind of difference in meaning between the Hebrew and the English here. Alright, so you guys read along in English. I'm going to do Hebrew. Exodus 24, verse 7. Kol asher Adonai naaseh ve'nishma'ah. Kol asher devar Adonai, or Yahweh, naaseh ve'nishma'ah. Okay. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient. Now, the actual translation here uh, would be all of the things that God has said, we shall do, and then we shall understand. Wow. Some translations pad it in the English with we will observe. Now the Hebrew word shma'a uh, uh, is to hear, but it's also to observe something, to adhere to it. And so the real translation here, uh, which the rabbis have been teaching for thousands of years, is this is what signifies uh, Judaism, is you do before you understand. Wow. God says to do something, you do it. But I don't understand. You do it. And then he shall provide the understanding. Now, this is the response to a covenant. We do not understand the complete covenant of God, but we shall do it because you have stated to do it, and then we shall grow in our understanding. Wow, come on, man. We do, and then we shall understand. 
Now, the English translation is really a representation a little bit more of the Western rationale. I'm not going to do anything until I... I don't do anything until I understand it first. Why would I do this in the Bible? I'm not going to do it until I understand it. I mean, how many of us hear the Lord tearing on our hearts, pulling on our hearts on something like, I'm not going to quite do it because I don't understand. See, what has happened in the church, which I'm sure we all are pretty much aware of, is this. Uh, we have adopted a Greek mind. In fact, we are ruled by reason. Let me understand you, Lord, then I'll do. But thousands of years ago, on this day of Shavuot, of Pentecost, is our declarations we shall do. And then we will grow in our understanding. Because the understanding can only come out of a place of obedience, of faith, of heart. So, this is kind of a weird Pentecost message. Why am I doing this? Because of the nuance. The Jews of the first century, Peter, James, John, Matthew, Thomas, all of these disciples would know, Nishma'ah, Ve'nisa'ah. Come on. Or actually, sorry, not say Ve'nishma'ah, but you guys probably don't really care about the difference, but whatever. There is, there, there is a power of, we, 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 they, they know this, guys, because this is like a tenant of Judaism. So the disciples following a Jewish rabbi are knowing that we on this holiday are to reflect that Israel's response is, we do what you say, O oh God, and then we shall understand. Now, why am I getting into this? Because of this nuance, and it's this, man. Luke 24, 9. Jesus, behold... I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait or tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Ten days before Pentecost, before Shavuot, Jesus goes to his disciples and say, go to Jerusalem and wait, because I'm going to do something. Now, I don't know about you, if I was one of the disciples, particularly of a Greek mind, and I was like, wait a minute, man, we've been with you for three years, we've seen unbelievable things, we saw miracles. We saw you tried by the Jews. We saw you tried by the Romans. We saw you on the crucifix. We saw your empty tomb. And then, three days later, right? Or really, the empty tomb. We saw you, I don't forget how many days later, I apologize. Um, actually, it was 40 days later. We, we saw you come to us. And now you come to us and you tell us to go to Jerusalem and wait. I don't know about you, I'd be like, uh, why? Like, can't you do what you're going to do then now? Like, I'm going to undo, I want to undo you. I'm going to throw, I'm going to pour out on you power. Can't you do it now? Like, how are we to wait? He doesn't say, go. Go to Jerusalem and wait. But how am I supposed to wait? Go. But, but why can't you do it now? Because I said Go. Now, this is 10 days, this is 10 days before Shavuot, where the nation is responding, we shall do, and then you shall understand. Jesus is taking this understanding of Shavuot, and he's saying, before I pour out the presence of God upon you, and the Spirit of the living God upon you, I need to say if you're going to do what I tell you to do. Now, how many of us 
got to wait for the touchy feelings from the Lord until we do. Come on. I'm not, I'm not bashing discernment. I'm not bashing leading the Holy Ghost. You need that in your life. But let me tell you something. There's a whole bunch of things that are said in this Bible that you don't need some touchy feelings from the Holy Ghost to do. Like, it's there. You know what to do. It says it. To do it. But I don't quite understand. I know. That's the point. What do you mean that's the point? That's the point. God speaks into your life to do something and you don't do it. You miss the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The Spirit fell on 120. You think they started with 120? No way. There are probably much more than 120. And I bet like 3% left after the first day. Like, what the heck? He didn't say in 10 days. He just said, wait. How long are we going to wait, man? One day? Two days? A year? A decade? This is crazy. I'm out. How many people left after four days? We've been at it for four days waiting in Jerusalem. What's going on? I'm going back home. This is crazy. I'm not making any money. I haven't seen my family. But my mom and my dad back on my farm up in the Galilee, they missed me and I need to go there. This is crazy after four days. Well, he said, go. And he said, wait, do, and then you'll see the understanding. And probably the worst thing is, can you imagine the poor schlep on day nine? Man, I've been at this for over a week. Nine days of hanging out in an upper room, praying and interceding and waiting and doing all this kind of stuff. You guys stink. It's hot. Got smelly feet, sandals, and dung in the street. I am out. I've been at this for nine days. Oh, that poor soul. He missed it. She missed it. Come on, man. We have to adopt this notion of the 120 that said, We shall do and then we'll understand. We shall go and we shall wait on what God has said for us to do and then He's going to pour out the Spirit. Even though I don't understand the how, the why, or the when. So, today's Pentecost. We do what he says. Come together. We show up. But let's see if he shall bring an understanding. And so I think part of the understanding, and some of you have heard this before, but some of us have not, is an understanding of, uh, uh, essentially, I believe, uh, a paradigm shift that needs to happen in some of the churches. And it's this. There needs to be the exaltation of the full Godhead. That's good, man. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Good. He is tripartite, right? There's three, there's three in one. Now what happens here is this. I, I want you to understand something, man. I, I want you to understand. Look, there are people on planet Earth that love God. Like, love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm not talking about, like, gods. I'm talking about, like, the God. The one true God. And classical Christian theology would say, well, you can't get to the Father except for through the Son. So you and I would then say, if you are a person that really loved God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but yet 
you do not believe in the Messiah, oh, well, you can't get to the Father unless you go through the Son, as the scriptures say. Now, the classical view of, of Christian thought is, oh, okay. So, this is what I'm trying to get at. If you are pursuing God, but not the Son, scriptures are saying you won't be able to reach. And in our theology, we would say, classically, obviously, that if you do not believe in Jesus, you don't have the salvation. So, the difference between attempting to know one-third of the Godhead and two-thirds of the Godhead is salvation. Wow. That is tremendous. But let me spin it a little bit. If you only know two-thirds of the Godhead, oh, what on earth could you be missing without knowing the other third? And I'm telling you that there are people in churches all across the world that know God the Father because they know Him through the Son. But they have no understanding of a third of the Godhead who is the presence and the living, dwelling embodiment of the Spirit of God. And if you do not honor Him, and you do not adorn Him, and if you do not praise Him, and if you do not have intimacy with him, you are missing out on one-third the power, the revelation of God. It's not a small thing. If you, could, if you could look someone in the eyes and say, well, you are only going after God the Father and you do not know Jesus, so then, then you do not know salvation. I ask you, do you only know God the Father and God the Son, but you have just... Pushed away the Holy Spirit. That's good. Come on. Or you just know the Holy Spirit just enough to get you to know Jesus. Come on. You know what I'm talking about, those people that have been around, right? It is a major, major thing that needs to be understood in the church. And so the, whole, the Holy Spirit, right? There's, there's a lot to go on with the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit, like, what is he doing? What's his function? What's happening? I mean, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the living God. We see in the scriptures that the Spirit of God brings a boldness to the believer. It brings a, another level of intimacy of knowing the Father and the Son and the Spirit. But there's also a piece that people don't really talk about too much. He's a Spirit that is holy. He brings a holiness to your temple and to your life. It's powerful. Uh, Derek Prince, God rest his soul, mighty man of God, said that the Holy Spirit has been snubbed in the church. So much attention on God the Father, so much attention on the Son. What about the Holy Spirit? Like, how many worship songs do we have about Holy Spirit? Come, Holy Spirit, you are... Well, that's like one. Now, I'm not trying to be legalistic. We know that there's three in one, right? We know that, 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 that they're together. And when we worship Jesus, we're worshiping the full Godhead. But I'm telling you that there's something... There's been a snubbing of him. There's been a pushing away in even the most slightest of ways. I mean, I, I've said this before, and not everyone's in agreement, but please, let's not be legalistic. Just, let's use it as a teaching tool. Okay, let's, let's try not to be legalistic. Let's just use it as a teaching uh, tool. When I go to God, I don't go, 
hey, the God. I go to God. When I go to Jesus, I just say, yo, the Jesus. But when you go to the Holy Spirit, you go to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is not an article. He's an object. Now, I find, I get it in the Greek, there is an article that is before it. And in Hebrew, when I say Ruach HaKodesh, I would say Ha Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. I get it. But the Holy Spirit is a being. I shall send forth the Comforter. Like, he is a being. He's an essence. Yes, he is spirit, but he is a being. I'm not saying, okay, let's all now stop saying the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying inside of your mind and in your intellect, how do you view him? Do you view him as a being or do you, you view him as an electrical force to get what you want? I think a, a large part of the church, the bride of Messiah, views the Holy Spirit as the agent of change to get what I want, opposed to a presence of a living God whose glory fills the entire temple. He's not your like Jedi force. He's being a Godhead. And so look, I, I understand. He, I understand, guys, the theology. The theology is... The Holy Spirit is the one that points mankind to Jesus. And Jesus points mankind to the Father. That is like theological, like Christian doctrine. Okay? They all have different, <clears throat> excuse me, responsibilities and parts. But today on Pentecost, there is a function of the Holy Spirit that we need to grab a hold of. Uh, let's take a look at John 16. I mean, the, this, 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 this will wreck you. This is going to wreck you right now. This is going to wreck you uh, if, 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 if you're in some traditional Christian thought. This, this is going to wreck you. Remember when I received this revelation, I, would just, I just fell on my knees and repented. I fell on my knees and repented. And before we get into this, I want you to understand, right? Please. So, like, I'm not getting, like, you know, crazy uh, emails. I am preaching the unity of the Godhead. Okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. It's just, we have a tendency to just snub the Holy Spirit. Push Him away. Just, hey man, can you come so I can speak in tongues? It's like, yeah, but He's the presence of the living God. Maybe before worrying about speaking in tongues, I should fall out on my face before Him and weep. I bow down to the presence of God. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this is going to, this, this wrecked me. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 7. This is, this is Jesus speaking. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. This is Jesus coming to disciples 
And he says, I need to go. The disciples say, no, you don't. You need to stay. He says, no, I need to go. They're like, no, please stay. And he's like, you actually want me to leave earth. And you actually want me to intercede for you on the right hand throne of the Father. And I will send the helper to you. How many of us are praying and asking for Jesus to be in our midst? He's not in our midst. He's sitting. He's a man and a God that's sitting on the right hand throne of the Father. That's interceding for you. Thanks. He says, you don't want me here. You don't want me here. You do not want me here because then the Spirit of God can't come. Like, this is an amazing revelation. Now, look, I know people have visitations of Jesus, and I don't know, does he come down from heaven down to earth for a brief time and go back up? Is he all... I don't know. I don't understand. I just do, and then I'll understand. Just be free. But I do know this. That it's so significant. Can you imagine Jesus right here? Jesus, stay with us. You are the Son of the living God. You are the Lamb of God. I can't get any better than this. And he says, yes, I can. But you have to let me go so that it can get better. That's a Pentecost message, Amen. Where, where are we? Sorry, guys. I'm out of practice. <laughs> All right. So let, let's, let's now take it to this very weird, quarantine, unique Pentecost. Hopefully, we can bring it all together. And, Mary, let me just give a, give a little love on the keys there. It might be a little longer, but I'm just... All right. It's a very unique Pentecost, very unique Shavuot. And uh, in preparing this and being around and being on prayer calls and being on so much stuff for 10 weeks, I, I'll be honest, I, I just, at first I'm like trying to figure things out and then I was just like, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm just going to surrender my Greek mind. I'm just going to adopt a Hebrew mind. I'm going to say, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand. All of this craziness for 10 weeks. I don't understand. And I've been trying to figure it out. I mean, you got, I've been trying to figure it out. And to, be fact, and to be honest, everyone's trying to figure it out, right? Governments are trying to figure it out. Doctors are trying to figure it out. Ministries are trying to figure it out. Churches are trying to figure it out. Prophets are like, this is why. But I just come to a place where I just say, now nah, I want to cry out, Lord, I obey. And then I'll understand this mess. I'm not going to spend my time trying to figure out if it's the Chinese, if it's a government conspiracy, if it's real, if it's fake, if it's this or it's that. All I do is I stand before a holy God and I say, I shall observe what you tell me to do and then there'll be an understanding. And at this time, he says, come to me and sit at my feet. And what is he 
what is all of this? What, what is he really doing? I mean, I think you'd, you'd, you'd have to be, like, really have your head in the sand to not say the Lord through this, through this experience on planet Earth is trying to get our attention. To be clear, I'm not saying God brought the virus. But what I am saying is that he's using this to get our attention. And I just feel that maybe, just maybe, so many of us have been trying to figure out what is going on and we forgot what we're supposed to be doing while it's going on. So questions. I love questions. During this quarantine period, in this weird isolation, what have you been doing? Because there's a waiting. There's been a waiting for 50 days. What have you been preparing for? Because the quarantine is coming to an end. What changes in your life did the Lord reveal to you during this unique time when most of us are not working or are working far less and we're not able to go to the stores and the malls and the beaches and this and that and you're stuck at home? Have you gone to him and say, Lord, I want to observe what you're saying to me? What needs to happen? And so during this unique time of change, before an explanation of all these whys, I believe that we need to draw our hearts to his attention. In the natural, we have, as I said, there is an expectation. And everyone is talking about the you know, lovely new normal of what life is going to be like. But I'm here to declare this, through this period of waiting and trying to understand, the Lord has begun to download some things to me. I feel like the Lord is just saying, Dave, it's time, and it's been time during this whole time, for you to get prepared for a spiritual new normal. The earth is waiting in expectation for the release of this quarantine. But I'm looking for a bride that is waiting for an expectation to take the church to a new normal in the spirit. I don't fully know what it's going to look like. I don't fully know when it's going to happen. But I'm telling you, do I do the things that the Lord has told me to do during this time? And I've used this time to have increased time with my family. Increased time with my wife to make sure that relationship is on firm foundation. Increased time with my kids. Time to get my house in order. Time to get the junk out. Time to, time to root out the things that need to be rooted out. Things that are, that are being shaken to be shaken to be thrown out of my life. For me to step into deeper levels of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and carry my cross. I mean, what else can you do? Watch Netflix? 
The Lord, I, and there's so many of you I'm, I'm speaking to, and I don't even have to speak to you, I see it. The Lord's got his finger on a nerve. The Lord's got his finger on something. He's like, during this 50 days of quarantine, this 50 days of expectation for me to pour out my spirit of God on Pentecost, get rid of that thing in your life. That's where I'm at. Look, from Adam unto Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, could be upon a prophet, could be upon a messenger. But now, now His presence is in us. And I believe that the understanding for today, because I lied, I, I, I know what the Lord is, I feel like I know what the Lord is doing this period and I think for, for us to understand this weird quarantine period and to understand Pentecost is, is really to just adopt this understanding that, that you know what Jesus is the one who tore the veil and I know it's not a traditional title of Jesus but it is a position of authority you see like as I was saying from Adam to Jesus the Holy Spirit would just reside upon a, a person but now because of the veil being broken, because of the pure blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit gets to come into a person. It's amazing. Hebrews chapter 11, 13, it says that for, 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 for the men and women of faith of, of past, they were waiting with faith to see the things that you have today from a distance. What would David give? To live on earth underneath the blood of Jesus. What would Moses do and give in order to live on planet earth when the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh? But they couldn't. They saw from a distance a promise that you and I have. What are we doing with that promise? What are you doing with that promise? How they yearned to see this day. How they yearned to have the blood. How they yearned to have the Holy Spirit inside of them like we have Him inside of us. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God. It's the presence of God in your life at any given moment. At any time, at any moment. The Holy Spirit as a spirit delivers us from the coldness of prayer. When you're in that prayer meeting and it's like, oh, this could be really dull. It's no longer dull. The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit as a fire delivers us from a mundane and ineffectual life. If you have a mundane and ineffectual life, I'm telling you right now, you do not spend time with the Holy Spirit. You spend time with the Spirit of the living God, your life cannot be mundane. Your life cannot have power. Your life cannot be effectual. It absolutely will be effectual. The Holy Spirit, as a fuel, empowers you to live a life of the gospel. And so let me just clarify, right? As I said earlier, we as a church, we believe in the giftings of of, of the Holy Spirit. We believe in words of knowledge. We believe in prophecy. We believe in tongues. We believe in the interpretation of tongues, etc., etc., etc. We believe in it and we act it out. But I am telling you that there's more to the Holy Spirit than that, right? It is His presence that is a holy presence 
that draws you to be able to live a life of the gospel. Hence, Peter goes up and speaks and thousands get saved. The great Leonard Ravenhill says this. There is only one proof of the Holy Ghost in your life. Oh, this is getting get some, some people upset. There is only one proof of the Holy Ghost in your life. And that is a holy life. You speak in tongues? And you don't have a holy life? Ah, then we need to talk. The Holy Spirit comes to bring a holiness, a set-apartedness, a laying down of the life. And so in conclusion of all this, we do what he says. He reveals to us an understanding. And I believe that it's during this season, all this craziness, the Lord is trying to get our attention. He's trying to get us to understand the full reason for the blood of Jesus to be spilled. Guys, this is all happening during this season. Passover to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Like, you know, it's like, tension! I, I feel like he wants to draw us to an understanding. Right, you can bring it up if you want. Bring us to a place of understanding of the power of the blood that tore the veil. But it's not just a power so that I can have a word of knowledge for someone. It's a power of holiness. I feel like the Lord in this hour, through all this muck and all this craziness, is calling and asking for the church and for individuals to go to a deeper level of a place of holiness in their life. He's a spirit that is holy. But the Holy Spirit is also a fire. And what does a fire do? It burns all those things that need to die. To purify, to sanctify, and to be made ready vessels. So we do this, and then we'll understand the fullness of Pentecost. And so church, I am telling you, it's time to get ready. If you have not get ready, if you have not been made ready in 50 days, you better speed the heck up. It's time to kick that demon out of your life. It's time to lay down the cross. It's time to have, it's time to get over unhealthy relationships. It's time to be an individual before the Lord. It's time to break emotional ties. It's time to break spiritual ties with those things that you should not be connected to. The Lord is saying, I want a people that are free to worship me. 50 days after the resurrection. I pour out my spirit. These 50 days, I'm telling you, the Lord, whatever finger, whatever nerve he has his finger on, you better not push it away. I'm telling you right now, do not be one of those that miss the presence of God that fell because he said, I don't want to deal with that nerve anymore. I'm telling you for the presence of God. Church, it's time to get ready. He wants a bride that is made ready. And he, he loves us so much that he's, that he's allowing for 50 days of quarantine to take place. To say, throw down your life. And lay your life down on the altar of Jesus. You probably will never have an opportunity in your life again. Like it. And I'm serious about it, man. Because a holy people will have a holy church. And a holy church, like the people who dwell inside of it, will burn with the power of the living God.
Leonard Ravenhill says it this way. You never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. You see, if you have less Holy Spirit, your bill for the coffee goes up. Try to bring people in. Got to spend more money on campaigns to try to get people in. But when there's a church on fire, a church can only be on fire when people are on fire. When people are on fire, the world knows it and they're drawn to the fire. And so this quarantine period has been a time of waiting. But the time of waiting has interestingly happened during that time period between Passover and Shavuot or Pentecost. And it's after that time of waiting that the Holy Spirit fell on the early church with fire. But so many, I'm sure, left. I don't get it. No. We get it. Father, I come before you and I just say, Lord, let us be a people that say, We shall do what you have told us to do and then we'll gain an understanding. Lord, we shall commit our lives to you. During this Pentecost season, we'll, we'll lay our life down. Lord, we'll come to you and say, Lord, draw out the impurities. Holy fire, come and burn it away, oh God. Let us lay our lives down at the cross. Let us pick up the cross. Lord, let us get outside of ourselves. Let us stop trying to figure everything out. And try to have a plan for everything. My plan is the plan of Israel. I surrender to you. My plan is the plan of your son. I lay my life down for you. And then he comes with a holy flame, with a holy fire. Come on, let's stand. I just encourage you right now, if the Lord has had his finger on a nerve, on a spiritual nerve in your life, Something that you know that is not right, and it's not right standing with the Lord. I'm telling you right now, it's disobedience to even subtle things that keeps the fullness of the presence of God to burning in our life. And if you're transparent with the Lord, that's the place of beauty. And so if he's got that finger on that nerve, I invite you right now during this Pentecost to come before him. Like the children of God of years ago that say, Lord, I don't understand how, but I know I need to surrender and lay this down to you right now. But I don't know how to let it go. I just simply do not know how. But I want to obey. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's call forth the fire of God.